Lord Jesus, you are our tower of refuge and strength. And you are in control, but we have to confess that sometimes it doesn't look like that. So Lord, we pray that you would open your scriptures to us tonight and that you would teach us from them so that we can know you, trust you more, and have the confidence to follow you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The first Christmas after I had graduated from college, I drove from Seattle to the Tri-Cities with my my then-girlfriend. And uh, the weather was kind of bad, and and so I had asked if I could drive because driving wasn't exactly her gift. But she really wanted to drive, and she insisted, and I was in love, so I said, okay. You can kind of tell where this story is going to go. Just outside of Ellensburg, we ran into freezing rain. And, uh, and I kept saying, you got to slow down. You're going too fast. Slow down. But she just said, don't worry. I'm in control. At which point we came up over a ridge and we saw this huge semi-truck right in front of us. And before I could say anything, I watched her take her foot off the gas and slam on the brakes. And I remember thinking, no, don't do that. But it was too late and the car started to spin and slide and we ended up sliding underneath the truck which crushed the entire back end of the car. And then we were being drugged along by the truck, and I remember thinking, I'm going to die right here. Well, somehow the car started, got spun out from underneath the truck, but then we were facing the oncoming traffic, and there were all these cars coming right at us, And at which point my girlfriend said, this is kind of fun. It's like bumper cars. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to die, really irritated with this woman. Finally, we landed in a ditch, and we were fine. The car, however, as well as the relationship, were both totaled. It was the end of it. And I remember feeling so out of control. You know, I mean, I was in the passenger seat, and I kept hitting the brake pedal. You know how you do when you're nervous? But, you know, of course, I was in the passenger seat, so it didn't do any good, because she had the steering wheel. I imagine that some of you have felt that way before in your life, completely out of control. And wondering if the one who is supposed to have control knows what he's doing. I'm guessing there's a a little bit of that feeling here tonight. We're at war, and that feels out of control. There's a recession that doesn't seem to end, and in our personal lives we face family problems, health problems, career problems, and we can try to pump the brake as much as we want to, but none of that seems to bring back a sense of control. And in the middle of that, it is very easy to wonder, God, where are you? And what are you doing? And if you're in control, then why do things seem to be falling apart? That's got to be how the disciples felt in the story that we just read, where they're out in the middle of the lake and there's this huge storm and they're battling the waves. They had to feel completely out of control. I mean, and, and here they are just doing what Jesus told them to do after all. I mean, they just, the reason they're in the boat is because they obeyed Jesus. He said in verse 22, get in the boat. And they're just obeying him. And what happens? This storm comes up, which I find interesting because I think one of the stereotypes people have about Jesus is that if you follow him, then somehow you're going to have a smooth sailing life. You know, there's not going to be any kind of problems in your life if you're a Christian. That somehow being a Christian is like a Teflon coating and the messes that stick to other people will just glide right off of us. But here the disciples are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in verse 22. And what happens? They encounter a storm. 
in spite of the plastic theology that says otherwise, following Jesus does not protect us against the storms in life. In fact, if we're really following Jesus, if we're telling others about him, if if we're reaching out in his name, sticking up for what's right, we're going to encounter a few storms, just like the disciples did. And they must have wondered, does this guy know what he's doing? Because it doesn't look like it. And that had to be made even worse by the fact that when Jesus finally does show up, he doesn't show up until the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night was the last watch. It was, it was about four in the morning. Here they've been struggling all night long. And Jesus shows up at the very end. I, I don't know about you, but this, this sort of irritates me about this story. Because if Jesus is in control, why didn't he show up sooner? Why did he let them battle the waves the entire night? And maybe some of you asked that that question too. If if Jesus is in control, then why doesn't he seem to help when careers fall apart and health fails and relationships go south? If he's in control, then where is he in this storm? There are a couple of things I take from this story that I find helpful in addressing that question. I don't know if they answer that question, but I find them helpful in thinking about that question. And the first is this. Jesus always shows up to help us. It's just sometimes it's on his timing, not ours. Just like here in this story where he shows up in the fourth watch of the night. Or think of in the Old Testament when Israel was pinned against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming at them. God shows up, he he parts the waters, but it's not until the fourth watch. Or think of Jesus on the cross. Not only does he die, but he's in the tomb for three whole days and then finally God raises him. God always delivers us. It's just that sometimes it's not in the timing that we want. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. For starters, it's so that we can know him better. Truth be told, it's when we're hard-pressed that we cling to him the most. And the other reason I think he does that is, is to help us grow. Because hard times often help us grow in our faith and grow as people. It's kind of like a butterfly emerging from a cocoon. If, if you've ever watched it, it looks like a huge struggle. It, it takes forever and the butterfly looks like it's just in pain and just, it's just really a struggle. But if you were to sort of have pity on the butterfly and try to help it out by cutting open the cocoon, the butterfly would die. Because it's the pressure of pushing through the cocoon that forces fluid into the wings. And without that struggle of opening up the cocoon, the wings will never develop and the butterfly will die. As hard as it is, the struggles in our life make us stronger and draw us closer to God. One year while I was still doing college ministry at Stanford, the school just suddenly took away the room that we were meeting in. And it was just chaos because students couldn't find where we were. Everyone was confused and nobody knew how to to get to us. And the result was the ministry just kind of died. It dwindled in numbers and it dwindled in energy. and, And I was really frustrated with God. Because I felt like here I'd worked really hard for four years to build a ministry only to watch it get wrecked by a silly thing like a room fiasco. And I had some pretty intense prayer times. I mean, I kept saying to God, why don't you help? Where are you? If you're in control, why don't you step in here? I mean, I'm just trying to serve you. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if you just got me a room? (laughs) Lord, I said it humbly, of course. And this went on for months. And then one night, for reasons I'll never know why, suddenly there was this strange feeling in the room. It was the feeling of energy, as if people were enjoying themselves. And then in the weeks that followed, the students began to come back and 
And the ministry went back to normal and the rest of the year was great. God showed up. It's just that it felt to me like it was the fourth watch. But in the meantime, he and I had some of our most honest conversations, our most intimate conversations ever, and I grew. It was out of that experience that I learned not to panic when things get hard or when things go wrong, and it made me a less anxious person. Because out of that experience, I learned to trust God more with my ministry. Because I'd seen him come through in the past, and so I had confidence that he would come through in the future. It made me stronger. God always shows up. And while we wait for him, we get to know him better, and we become more the people he created us to be. The other thing this story tells me about what Jesus does with the storms in our life is that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't always stop the storm right away. Instead, he calls us to a greater level of commitment that helps us rise above the storm. One of the things that fascinates me about this story is that Jesus doesn't calm the storm before he asks Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water. Peter has to get out of the boat while the storm is still going, which was probably kind of a bummer for Peter if you think about it because, you know, it's probably tough enough to walk on water, let alone in a storm. And you think the least that Jesus could have done would have provided a smooth surface for him. But that's not what Jesus does. He asks them to get out of the boat while the storm is still going on. Take a greater risk of faith, and what Peter discovers is that he can rise above the storm. When times get tough, I think our temptation, at least my temptation, is to just sort of huddle up in the boat and kind of curl up in the fetal position and be very afraid, you know, and just kind of hope that the storm goes away. But that's not what this story tells us to do. What this story tells us to do is that it's in the middle of the storm. That's exactly when we have to get out of the boat. That's when we have to take a bigger risk. That's when we have to follow Jesus all the more. That's when we have to serve others and give ourselves away. And then we rise above the storm. Now is not the time for God's people to just huddle together in the church and be afraid. Now is the time for God's people to go out into a storm-tossed world and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is in control in spite of all appearances to the contrary. A friend of mine was a highly placed executive in a major company. And he discovered some accounting errors, and so he reported them. And as a reward for all his efforts, he got demoted. He went from managing 500 people to just three. And his prayer through all of this has been, Lord, just show me how to be a leader in this. And so now when other people who have been hurt by this reorg come to him and complain, he says, you know what, I don't know about you, but this is why I'm a Christian. He says, you know, if you're going down a well-lit staircase in a building, you don't have to use a handrail. But if you're out in a boat in the middle of the ocean and it's dark and it's raining and, and you're coming down a ladder, you hang on with both hands. And this is why I'm a Christian, because I need to hang on to Jesus with both hands. Now, here's a guy whose life has been turned completely upside down just for doing the right thing. And the storm is still raging. Jesus hasn't reorged the reorg and put him back on top. But in the middle of that storm, he's coming to God and he's trying to help others. And the result is he's rising above it. Now, he's honest about it. He says, this is terrible. I don't like this. This is horrible. But I'm finding God in the middle of it and I'm helping other people. And so I have some peace. In the midst of the storm, when we take risks to follow Jesus, get out of the boat, give our lives away, we rise above the storm. Now, the only way that we can do this is simple. And you have heard this point made a thousand times. We have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. 
What gets Peter out of the boat, what keeps him on top of the surface of the waves, isn't discipline, it's not a surplus of courage, it's simply that he is so captivated by who Jesus is, so captivated by what Jesus is doing, that he just can't help himself. He says, wow, he's walking on water, I want to do that too, and he gets out of the boat. The only way we're going to be able to rise above the storms is if we're so captivated by who Jesus is and what he's doing, binding up the brokenhearted, setting people free, so captivated by that, that we don't look at what's going on around us. We just get out of the boat and follow him. Back in the 70s, there was a tightrope artist named Pierre Petit. And one day he strung two cables between, or strung one cable between two New York skyscrapers. And a hundred stories up above the pavement. And for 45 minutes, he ran back and forth on this teeny little cable. He ran back and forth. He jumped up and down. He even laid down at one point and then got back up. He did this for 45 minutes. 100 stories above the pavement. When he got down and got arrested, uh, a a reporter was asking him, how do you do that? It looks so scary. And he said, it's easy. I don't look down. No kidding. I wouldn't either if I was a hundred stories up. If we look down at the recession... At the war, at the finances, our marriage problems, our health problems, we're going to sink. But if we look at Jesus and what he's doing in the world, we'll follow him and we'll rise above the storm. And that is so much better. That is so much better than if Jesus just came along and stopped the storm and made our lives comfortable. I mean, I know that's what we want. That's what I want when I'm facing tough times. I'm sure that's what Peter wanted. Lord, just make it stop. Just put an end to this storm. But what Peter got was so much better instead. He got to be the only human being in all of history to walk on water. And how cool is that? And I got to believe that years later when the disciples got together for some kind of disciple reunion, you know, that that one of the disciples, maybe Thaddeus, you know, went over to uh, Peter at some point. He said, Peter, I've been dying to ask this of you for years. What was it like? What was it like when you got out of the boat and your foot hit the surface of the waves and you stood? And you know, Peter must have said, oh, it was great. You should have tried it, Thaddeus. It was awesome. We ask for far too little when all we want is for God to stop the storm. He has so much more for us instead. He gives us the power to rise above it and follow him in the middle of it. And then, and then, and then the promise of this story is that someday, somehow, some way, Jesus will end the storm. The end of this story is that Jesus commands the waves to be still and they obey because in spite of all appearances to the contrary, he actually is in control. I have a friend whose father was a professor at Princeton Seminary and he was there when I was a student. And he started his career as a fairly emotionless, Harvard-trained academician. But then one day he was driving down the New York Thruway and he stopped to help two women on the side of the road who had a flat tire. And as he was changing the tire, another driver who had fallen asleep at the wheel slammed into him at 65 miles an hour and drug him down the road until that car finally came to a stop. My friend's father laid there for a half hour before anybody realized that no one had called an ambulance. And then an hour and a half later, he finally showed up at the hospital, torn from stem to stern, turning blue, badly in need of oxygen because his lungs were bleeding. But first, he needed emergency surgery. So as they were wheeling him into the operating room, he was still conscious through all of this. And so he began to sing his favorite hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. At which point, the nurse poked him and said, Stop it, you can't sing that. The doctor's Jewish. So he said, Okay, let's talk about the Old Testament then. 
So he started talking about the Old Testament with the doctor and, and how it related to his faith in Christ and, and really reached out to this doctor. And as he did, he went from blue to pink and his lungs stopped bleeding and they canceled the oxygen. And that whole experience changed him. He became known, at Princeton, he was known as the weeping professor because he had had such a, his head, his head knowledge had gone to heart knowledge and every time he talked about God, he would just tear up because of the experience he'd had with God. And he was the most popular professor on campus because he had this amazing testimony of the power of God in his life. Now, I don't know why God didn't stop that car from hitting him. I mean, he was just doing what Jesus would do. He was just trying to help. And I don't know why God didn't get him to the hospital quicker. And I don't know why God didn't stop the bleeding sooner. I don't know. But here's what I know. God did an amazing thing with that tragedy. Because in the midst of the worst storm of of this man's life, God empowered him to rise above the storm. He was so captivated by who Jesus was that even in the middle of this tragedy, he was able to reach out to that doctor and rise above the storm and walk on the surface of the waves. And then Jesus stopped the storm because Jesus was in control. I do not have a good answer for you tonight to the question of why there is war and recessions, and cancer, and suffering. I mean, part of the answer is because God respects us so much that 